0: No, I know everybody wants to talk to you about uh, cameras and camera gear. You're an ambassador for a camera company, but um, what I really want to know is what first led you to wedding photography.
1: Ah, oh, well, that's uh, that's a, a little bit of a, a weird story. In that, I was never a photographer at all. Had no ambition to be a photographer. Didn't even own a camera. Um, however, I was commuting two and a half hours each way every day to a day job in London from from where I live here, which is in the west of England. And, uh, I basically was exhausted, you know, just kind of, it just couldn't carry on. So one day I was on the tube and I picked up a magazine, one of those free magazines that you you get quite often. And it was just left on the seat next to me and I picked it up and I just opened randomly opened a page and it was about weddings. And I thought, oh, it's not interesting to me. I'll just, you know, I've already been married twice by that point. So I just kind of, I was about to <laughs> skip over. <laughs> I was about to skip the page. And then I, I spotted these uh, black and white wedding pictures in the corner. And they were um, pictures by Jeff Askoff and, and I thought, wow, these are amazing. I've never, never seen anything like that before, you know, from a kind of a photography point of view, certainly not weddings. And, uh, and then I just thought, wow, maybe this is something that, that you know, piqued my interest enough to, to be something I could do. So I went home, I said to my wife, uh, I don't think I'm going to be a wedding photographer. And she was like, well, you don't own a camera. (laughs) You've never been a photographer. You don't really smile that much. And, uh, and that was it. And so I, I, I bought myself a camera. Um, I went on some workshops and various other things and, and yeah, I've photographed five, nearly 500 weddings now (laughs) since then. Wow.
0: Um, do you remember your, your early days? Um, were you particularly nervous going in or were you just excited to kind of get rolling with it?
1: Oh yeah. I was very nervous. I I remember my first wedding ever was the day before my birthday. Uh, it was an August wedding, some 2008, I guess it was. And, uh, I was, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. And I just went and, you know, I just basically took pictures of absolutely everything I could. Uh, you know, the clients like the pictures, but obviously now when I look back at them, I think, Ooh, um, I lost. I I'd, I'd bought. I I'd bought all kinds of gear and kit. I had a monopod that I thought you had to use, and and a really expensive uh, monopod it was too. And I left that at the church. Um, yeah, I just I must have taken about twenty thousand pictures that day, and just hoped to the best. And and they came out okay. But but yeah, it was it was terrifying. And I came home to my wife that night, and I thought I said to her, um, "I'm not sure I've done the right thing." <laughs>
0: Um, speaking in generalities, I find that I, I tend to get a, like a very negative reaction from other photographers when I tell them that I'm a wedding photographer. Um, why do you think that there is sort of a stigma about wedding photography and like a negative, um, reputation?
1: Um, I think, I mean, you're right. There definitely is, but I think, I think less so now than there has been in the past. Um, I think now, you know, we see a lot of creative wedding photography now and, uh, you know, all different styles, all different genres. And, and to the point where, you know, there's entire, um, magazine, bridal magazines dedicated to photography and stuff. So I think it's a little bit less now. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, this probably goes back to the, the kind of eighties and nineties when the, the wedding photographer was usually, and uh, you know, I say usually in air quotes cause not always was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, older, older guy, you know, sweaty armpits, black dressed up like a black ninja, uh, you know, (laughs) bossing everybody around and and telling everybody where to stand and look and, you know, setting up fake cutting of the cake and all that kind of stuff. And I think that it's probably a a hangover from that. Um, But, you know, it's worth remembering now that a lot of uh, news photographers and photojournalists and stuff have, as that market has died, they've, you know, they've spread their wings into weddings. So, um, you know, it's not so much of a uh, detrimental kind of look on the industry now as I think it once was
0: you are very much a natural storyteller with your wedding photos have you found that the rise of mobile phone cameras inhibit your ability to take candid photos at weddings Um, and what's your attitude towards mobile phones at weddings in general
1: uh yeah i mean it's definitely become more difficult for sure in terms of uh i find i I don't actually mind people having phones because that's the world we live in, right? It's it's a little bit like I read an article once about a photographer in, back in the fifties complaining about everybody who sat there reading newspapers, and you know newspapers <laughs> now are the mobile phones of today, and and we look back at those pictures of people reading newspapers with nostalgia and think, oh, do you remember when those people when we used to read newspapers and everybody used to sit on the train with a massive uh, you know newspaper in their laps? Um, so you know, in time, people will look at the pictures of people on their mobile phones and think. Oh, do you remember? Look at the size of that mobile phone. And why aren't they taking photos with their eyeballs like we can? Uh, You know, all all of that stuff is, is part of history going by. But in terms of the physicality on the day, in terms of how it presents itself, not so much people with the cameras, but people who, and this is generally the younger generation, who seem uh you know they they see you with a camera and and they're very self-conscious uh, don't take a picture of me don't take a picture of me and then and yet they walk around all day long taking selfies to put on instagram and put filters and things like that on it um so i feel that the uh and again i'll use air quotes the instagram generation are are being um Shielded a little bit from real photography and they're they're in this kind of fairy tale world where they can just apply filters and make themselves look different and better and nicer um, and that's that's causing them to have uh, self uh, self you know conscious issues about the way they look and the way they feel and everybody has to look a certain way on the internet and what have you so yeah I mean that's an issue but but it, you know it's a fad it's it's a passing thing and it's just the world we live in isn't it
0: I think it's a byproduct as well of um, sort of social media is a great way for, again, air quotes, but younger people to control the narrative of the way that their life looks to other people. And a photographer is someone that can show someone in a different light. And I think that's obviously scary for some people that are used to being in complete control of the way that they look to the outside world that they think matters.
1: Correct. Yeah, I agree totally. You know, I totally agree. And and I think, you know, as my, my daughter now is 12 and, you know, she's she's grown up with the warnings of social media. So I think it's a generational thing. And, uh, you know, hopefully people, what well, as it becomes the norm, the everyday norm, it will become a little bit more real.
0: So did you ever go through a stage of shooting work that didn't suit your style? Um, and if you did, how did you escape the cycle of, you know, n- not working to the way that you wanted to?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I did to a certain extent. I always, I was insistent right at the beginning to all my clients that you know I'm going to shoot in this uh, this thing that was called documentary photography, although I didn't probably realise at the time what that actually was. And I, you know, right at the beginning, I had uh, you know that very first wedding. They were they, you know, they were like, yeah, yeah, we we understand totally. We don't want any formal photographs or anything. And then just before I left, they said. Uh, when are we going to do the group shots? <laughs> and, and right. then they did 60, 69 group shots. Um, wow. And it was, it was dark and it was inside and it was, it was a real baptism of fire. So I have been very, um, I mean, obviously I, you know, I, I don't say that I, I, I never do group shots. I kind of, I'd say 50% of my clients come to me because they want zero formal stuff at all. And the other 50% come because they appreciate what I do, but they still want one or two family shots and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I was very, because of how it happened and, and I left one industry, which was a reasonably well-paying industry to do something else. I was insistent that I would not, I wasn't going to be spending Saturdays at other people's weddings doing something I didn't like. And right. so I, I, I kind of forged that brand, if you like, and, and kept to it. And and it's yeah it's been been pretty much the same ever since.
0: In the build up to your weddings, now do you coach um, your clients on sort of how to be photographed candidly?
1: I don't. I, I really leave that up to the website and uh, Instagram and and my kind of branding. So my website is in place pretty much to attract people, but also to filter out the people that that aren't really going to be up for the style. So everything. I mean, if people actually read my website, the clients they 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 can have no doubt about the style and the way that the wedding will be shot and you know the follow-up email i send to an inquiry outlines that again and reminds them of it so they they're pretty much good to go by the time that they've they've kind of sent that that email inquiry Um, and typically i don't meet clients beforehand occasionally i'll do a skype meeting with them or something but it's very very rare for me to actually see them before the wedding day Mm. and you know they they now at least and it did take several years for this to become the norm but now they, they just get it. You know, they, they kind of, I say, hello, all right, you know, all right, Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, you know, just get on and do your thing. And and that's, that's music to my ears when I hear them say that, just get on and do your thing. And, uh, you know, i click away for the day. I just blend in and do my thing and then I'll go home.
0: Amazing. I think it's something I'm very jealous of the fact that you've got uh, that ability to kind of carry that, um, that sway. I am still kind of, carving that out for myself. So I'm very jealous. Um, you've photographed a lot of destination weddings, something else I'm particularly jealous of. Um, where's been your favorite place to photograph a wedding and is there anywhere left that you'd love to go?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, there's loads of places I'd love to go. The last two weddings I had booked before the lockdown and hence I couldn't shoot them. One was in Amsterdam and the other one was on a, in a little glass bubble in the Baltic Sea in North Germany. So it was a small wedding. You go out yeah, you go out on a little boat, you climb up this stepladder into a uh, basically a, a a glass bubble that's sitting above the ocean. Um, but sadly that that wasn't to be. Um my the wedding, the last wedding I did actually get in before the lockdown was in the Swiss Alps. That was beautiful. That was um that was a multi-day wedding, so the the kind of formal element was in Zurich, and then we headed up to the Alps. Um mostly it's Europe, but you know, you can't. I get um, a lot of inquiries about shooting weddings in America, but you can't just rock up and shoot a wedding in America. Well, not legally anyway. You need to get a, a visa, which is very difficult to get. So I typically don't do do any outside of Europe. Um, although I'd love to, you know, I've, um, I'd have i love to do more kind of uh, documentary-style weddings in, in um, strange places, let's just say. I shot one inside the Arctic Circle in Norway, northern Norway. That was lovely. Um, middle of July, 24-hour daylight, snow on the ground. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, yeah. I've been to some some um, great places,
0: but I did the exact opposite of that. I did Arctic Circle, Finland, and I did it in January, where
1: there was like one hour of daylight. So <laughs> I think you got the better deal on that front. <laughs> yeah, that sounds chilly. I have to say, um, but I would say about destination weddings is they're not. Then you know they're, they're lovely to do, of course, but it's not all glamour. There's a lot of stress about flights and you know getting your gear across and timings and everything else. Um, but yeah, they are nice to do
0: so you shoot street photography as well. Um, do you think that street photography can teach skills that can translate over towards being a wedding photographer?
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and this is, you know, predominantly for people who shoot documentary style, but, but I think, you know, 99% of wedding photographers in the UK shoot a vast majority of the day as candid wedding photography anyway. Um, so, you know, whenever I'm shooting streets and I say this to, you know, to my students and stuff is there's only three things you need to look for, and that's light composition and moments. And if you get that right in a picture, you, you know, you've, you've got a winning picture and the streets are the perfect place to practice that, to, to hone that skill. You know, you've got, you can wait, you can watch, you're under no stress, no time constraints. Uh, you can observe people being people. You can look for human, the humanity elements, the interaction. Um, and then when it comes to taking that to weddings, it's the same thing. When you're shooting candidly, it's exactly the same thing. Light, composition and moment. And and those three things come together. It's very rare and very hard if you're shooting purely candidly to get a picture with good light, good composition and a good moment, but it gives you a, a bit of a better fighting chance.
0: Is there a particular part of a wedding day that you prefer photographing or that you sort of universally always enjoy, or is it just generally the whole course of the day that you enjoy?
1: Yeah, I'd say generally it's the whole day. I think probably my least favorite to flip that question on its head is is bridal prep. Um, and that's 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 changed over the years. And that's probably because now I'm a, you know, I'm a kind of middle aged guy who's, you know, when I walk into the, the room full of young uh, bridesmaids and brides and everything, it's it's very clear that I'm the, you know, the elephant in the room type thing. Um, so, so that's, although it's, you still get beautiful pictures and I still do my thing. It's, it's probably become my, my least favorite element of the day. And then the rest of it is, is it's pretty much, I enjoy it all the way through. I love this. I love church ceremonies. Um, you know, I prefer to photograph it in a nice beautiful church than, than perhaps a hotel or something and you know not that, not that that makes a difference to the clients but it's uh you know it's from a personal thing i prefer to, to shoot that kind of stuff and um and then yeah the, the, the kind of drinks reception and all of that stuff is is very good that's where i normally get my best stuff the drinks reception so and mm-hmm. um, immediate moments after the ceremony and and i always say to my clients look once the ceremony is done, you come out of the church or the hotel or, the you know, wherever you are and ignore me. You just you just greet your guests, get on with, the, you know, being hugged and loved and all that stuff. Whatever you do, don't look at me and wait for me to tell you what to do, because those moments will just evaporate. And as soon as everybody else is expecting me to start organizing things, which I won't, then, you know, the whole dynamic changes.
0: So I'm going to get killed if I don't do this, although I'm not particularly uh, a big gear person. I'm more interested in the actual process of photographing. I think if I don't talk to a Fuji ambassador about cameras, I'm probably going to get lynched. Um, So so just to start off with um, a bit of a broad question, but I feel like we're kind of reaching a stage where cameras can't be improved. We're getting such high resolution and so many shots per second and, you know, memory cards that take so much. And there's so many redundancies and, you know, the video features and so on. Do you think that we're getting to the point where cameras can't be improved?
1: Um, yeah, yes, I, I absolutely see what you're saying. I mean, if you look at people, um, I always, I always revert back to um, the observer photographer Jane Bowne, and you know she's shot with the same Rolleiflex for sixty years. Um, so you don't need to have the latest and greatest technology to, to be a good photographer for sure. However, I think it's a competitive market. So if people are, you know, if Sony come out with a camera that can shoot at, you know, uh, know 500,000 ISO and have pinpoint accuracy focusing in, in pitch black, then that's a, uh, you know, that that's going to be a competitive edge to the people who have that camera. So, you know, the, the industry will continue to make, uh, marks in things like, um, sensor, um, noise and various things like that. I mean, I think physically and scientifically, they're not going to get many more megapixels in certainly an APS-C and full frame, um, things like medium formats that Fujifilm already done. And obviously there's lots of other companies that, you know, that will only get cheaper and faster. Um, and you know, it comes with its own problems in, in, in terms of things like file size, but the way that I see things going really is more, uh, not so much the uh, the image taking technology, but the uh, the future technology in terms of um, you know we've got five G coming now. So I envision cameras, you know, not too far down the line, that have five G technology built into them. So you know, you take a picture and it's it's backed up in the clouds the moment you take a picture. And and even further than that, I can envision being able to take a picture, have it sent to, I don't know, a folder in the cloud, run a Photoshop action on it. And, and yeah, editing is done by the time you get home. You know, that that kind of stuff is, is where I think um, real excitement in technology is going to be for me.
0: Well, we had that kind of we had the megapixel race for a while and i think people started to wise up to that was just sort of uh, they were just kind of arbitrary numbers that weren't doing much and and i think you're right one place i do see cameras um still being able to improve is just constantly compressing the difficulty in use down to be as simple as possible so that you can basically take a picture with absolutely no knowledge of how the camera's actually functioning i think that's probably the last area other than like you say the huge uh, techno- technological jumps towards like 5G. I think just simplifying the camera down to be um, almost uh, instinctive rather than something that requires any kind of intellectual um, acknowledgement to make it function. I think that's the only place it can really go at this point.
1: I, I, no, I agree with you, and, and effectively, that's what mobile phones have done. You know, you just point and click, and you know that's that's a, a massive uh, mar- a mass- massive competitor for um, professional camera manufacturers is the mobile phone industry. Um, you know, point and shoot cameras sales are, are basically zero now because everybody has a camera on their phone, and they do that very well. You don't, you don't need to worry. About the settings, the light, or anything with your phones, especially the the newer mobile phones, the iPhones and Huawei's and all that kind of stuff, they can they can do whatever you need them to do, and you just point and click.
0: I actually wrote a short blog back around the release of the X Pro Three, which is, I think was like October November time, um, a camera that I do desperately want, um, and I was I was really excited about the um, the hidden screen. Uh, just Overall, I love I the ergonomics and the aesthetics of that camera anyway, so the X-Pro 3 was a great next step for the X-Pro 2, but um, what I really think is that the X-Pro line should stick to stills and lose all video functionality, uh, because I just don't think it's designed to, to do that kind of work, and that having a degree of separation between the X-Pro line and the X-T line, um, with the X-Pro being the stills camera and the X-T being the hybrid, um, that degree of separation would actually be good for both both lines but you're an ambassador for Fuji so why am I wrong
1: oh you're not wrong I agree with you actually I I, you know I I also would would you know I I never use the video functionality on my rangefinder star cameras I only use it on the XT range um however what I would say is that it wouldn't uh, it just wouldn't sell um from a marketing point of view because the sensors are the same so effectively all they would be doing would be disabling the video functionality um in the X Pro and People will will say, uh, "I want video in my X Pro. Why why should I pay you know pay, pay pay more or less or whatever you know for a different camera?" And it's it's the same technology inside. That's the that's the big problem. Um, I mean, Leica were very brave when they I can't remember the name of the model now, but they brought out a camera with no LCD on the back, uh, very very simple, um, and that was a beautiful camera. And you know, I think. I think Fujifilm, in the past at least, have, have looked at those kind of ideas, and and that's that's essentially what the X Pro 3 was meant to be. Um, and I think they they've done it very well. You know, they have that hidden LCD on the back and the uh, the sub monitor, and you know, it is it, for all intents and purposes, it could be used like like an old analog camera. You know, um, but it does have modern technology in it, and I think that if they just disabled that. Then it just wouldn't sell, and I think they they know that too. Same reason why I think that they haven't done a monochrome camera, um, because a monochrome, a pure monochrome sensor would be a lot more expensive to produce and just wouldn't sell.
0: <laughs> There's one other idea I have. I'm I'm definitely just pitching ideas at this point, but um, I'm a huge fan of the X Pan, and I think Fuji could do a. Uh, a version of the X100V or whatever, but do it with an X-Pan style sensor with that really wide pano sensor. I think that's something that could um, potentially sell, especially dragging some people over from the film crowd, which I think Fuji is very good at.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, believe me, they look into all of these kind of things and, you know, we do have discussions as ambassadors with them about ideas and everything. And that's, that's come up in the past. Um... Uh, I think ultimately they are, you know, they're a clever industry. They're a clever company. And in an industry where most camera sales are declining, they, theirs are going up. And and that's because they have, and I'm not saying this just because I'm an ambassador, but it's because they've been sensible with their product line. Um, you know, they've made a camera for everybody effectively. And I think that if they spread themselves too finely, um, which I think at one point they, they were very close to doing, you know, they had the XT, they had the XT100s, they had the X100Ts, they had the XT30, the XH cameras. Um, XE line and i think that they're they're streamlining a little bit now to concentrate on the ones that they know will sell um, things like the x-pan things like a monochrome sensor film things like a camera with no um, you know no no unnecessary bulk or technology are uh, um, you know they, they won't sell a lot but perhaps they're the kind of thing that they could do as anniversary editions or special editions or limited editions um, you know and the fact is, if it's a small run, they would be a lot more expensive, which in turn makes them collectible. So, uh, you know, who knows? But yeah, I, I agree with you. The X stuff would be great.
0: Uh, have you ever used a GFX line for weddings specifically? Is that something that you'd, well, you'd want to use?
1: Uh, no, I have a GFX 100, which is for my commercial work um, or was for my commercial work. I got it just before the lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really used it much. Um, so I did have a GFX 50R. I bought one of those um, and I took it to a few weddings. And, and actually for the Candid stuff, it was okay in good light, but but not. it was big. And although not huge, but big. And I just felt it didn't wasn't doing for me what i wanted it to do which is allowing me to be uh you know incognito and quiet and and you know as small cameras as possible um but for other people who are doing more fine art more editorial type wedding photography group shots and stuff like that the gfx range is going to be great because you know if you're printing it's only if you're not printing then don't even think about it. It's just not worth it. Um, but if you're printing, you even on small prints in an album, you will see the difference, massive difference uh, over APSC and full frame. And, uh, sorry, APS-C and c um, and uh, medium format, but also full frame and medium format.
0: I think, um, obviously, you're an extremely busy man. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I I think I'll draw things to a close, but I am going to ask you a fairly broad question to end. Um, You write articles, you're a brand ambassador, you're a public speaker that's travelled the world, you photograph uh, weddings all over the place, you're a leading voice in photography. At this point, is ambition sort of hard to come by, having done so much?
1: Um, No, not at all. You know, I always... I always think that you you can you you can see it with some photographers when they they get a little bit lazy I think and they, they you know they they kind of I don't know I hate to use the word rock star but they like to think of themselves as rock stars and I, and I very much hate that I whilst I do the public speaking um you know I'm not particularly gregarious I'm, I'm usually the person kind of the hardest person to find at the bar type thing. Not because I wouldn't buy a drink, but because I'm kind of, you know, I don't I don't like the limelight so much. But um, you know, I think for me it's always been about the um the images for the clients and for me, you know, and and if I can carry on producing images that make people have uh, you know, happy, nostalgic memories in the future, then then that's that's enough motivation that I need. Um and whether that whether that manifests itself still in weddings or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, NGO work or whether it's uh, family photography, um, any, you know, as long as people can look at the pictures and, and have an emotional connection to them, then I'll, I'll feel like I'm still doing what I need to be doing. So the reason that I'm doing
0: these podcasts, um, at the volume that I'm doing them currently, is just to kind of put something out to keep minds busy, keep people away from watching the news and depressing themselves and so on. Um, do you have any recommendations for photographers that people could look out for?
1: Uh, yeah, during this time, um, there's, there's all kinds of stuff in there? YouTube and I noticed on, um, the, I think it's the masters of photography, um, website. They, they had, they've published a page full of entirely free photography documentaries that you can watch. Um, they're all on YouTube, but there's some of them are feature length. Uh, there's maybe 30 or 40 of them on there. Um, of course, Neil and I do a daily podcast called the FujiCast. Um, which people can find. Uh, there's there's all kinds of stuff. I, I found Instagram uh, live stories that have been really interesting over the last few weeks that that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, you know all I, I have to say that for the first, we're now in week four, but for the first two or three weeks, I didn't really pick my camera up. I was too busy reorganizing weddings and you know and dealing with uh, the financial implications. but I feel that if if people look at the work of somebody like Patrick LaRock in Canada and see what he can produce just sat at his desk, um, the images he can make are just superb and sublime. Then, um, you know, it will will encourage you to just pick the camera up and and photograph whatever's in front of you. and, And you can do that in your own home.
0: Amazing, amazing. Um, so what I like to do at the end of all of these, uh, again, it's become a little bit of a, an ironic task for someone like me to ask someone like you to tell everybody where they can find you. But um, if you could give me your sort of social media links and your website and stuff so people can find your work.
1: Uh, okay, so my main website is kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk. That's the wedding stuff. I have a couple of others. I have f16.click, which is more of my personal and tech work. I have a new website launched just this week, actually called ministryofshadows.co.uk, which is all about black and white photography, and that's submission-based. So if people want to um, submit to that website, and it's it's hopefully going to be a community place, um, Instagram, kevinmullinsphotography. And uh, yeah, that's about it, really.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: No worries, Chris. Thanks for having me.